I'm super excited to get started with this uh, series. Uh, we're going to be looking at it for, I believe, till the first week of Advent, so uh, through December, the first Sunday in December. And it ties right in, it transitions very well right into Advent. Uh, is the last name we're going to look at is Emmanuel. Uh, and then we're going to jump right into that, into Advent, and we're working on that series. We want to, uh, something I'm, I'm excited about, we're working on uh, putting together something that we can do as families, individuals, through the Advent season and come together on Sunday and talk about it. So um, hopefully we can get that to you by uh, the second to last week of November. But So we are working on that. In the meantime, we are going to start today, and today I want to kind of just lay a groundwork, a foundation for what we're, what we're doing, why we're doing it, and just walk through uh, the next, I believe it's about eight weeks of this series. So if you would, if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to turn to Psalm chapter 9. We're going to pinpoint focus on verse 10 today, but I want to read verses 1 through 10 to kind of give us some context. So if you have your copy, if you would stand with me as we read through Psalm chapter 9. We're going to start at verse 1, and we will go through verse 10. Starting at verse 1, the psalmist writes, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence, for you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established His throne for justice, and He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know Your name put their trust in You, for You, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek You. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless us this morning, that we would be challenged, we'd be encouraged. Father, I pray that our understanding of who you are would be enlarged this morning, Father, that we can walk away from here with boldness and courage because we have a God that we know is great and mighty. So we praise you, we ask that you would be honored and glorified, we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Why a series on the names of God? You ever stop and consider the power of a name? And just pause and think about the power and the significance of a name. I would venture to guess that if we took a survey, most people in here would say, because I do this, I'm guilty of this, that if I don't know somebody's name, especially if I should know them because they attend you know, the church and there are people, and I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say this, but there are people in here that sometimes I, I should know your name. Maybe I forgot it. Um, I'd be curious to know how many of us, when we see that person and we know we should know their name because they've been here before, we don't go up and talk to them. 
because we're embarrassed, right? Oh, I should know them. I'm not going to say anything. Or we do the, 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 uh, the tricky thing where we go up to them, hey, buddy, how are you? Or the Christian version, hey, brother. There's a story, um, uh, I'm sure most of us know Muhammad Ali, but there's a story of an, uh, a great fight he had with a guy by the name of Ernie Terrell, and uh, Ernie had grown up with Muhammad Ali, um, he had known him since they were children, they had been sparring partners, and uh, Muhammad Ali, of course, was known as Cassius Clay, that was his birth name, but uh, eventually converted to Islam, and he changed his name to Muhammad Ali, and, and Ernie refused to call him that, and in a press conference before their fight, uh, Ali told him, you will say my name, I guarantee it in the fight. And uh, as the fight began, um, Ali was very angry and mercilessly beat Ernie. And towards the end of the fight, with every single blow, he would shout, Hey, Ernie, what's my name? And he'd punch him again. Hey, Ernie, what's my name? Until he eventually knocked him out. And so I guess, I don't know if he ever did say his name, but the point is, there is incredible significance to a name. And what I want to do this morning is unpack this verse, um, which over the last couple of days even has really become a mantra for me as I've been walking through some own stuff in my own personal life, and it, and it couldn't have come at a more pertinent time as, as uh, I just walked through some things. And this verse is incredible, and it's filled with incredible power. Verse 10, And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So what I want to do this morning is look at three things. I want to look at a purpose of why we're doing this. I want to look at, at it as, as an understanding of the groundwork for what we're going to walk through. I want to look at it with a principle understood from this passage and then a promise that is laid out for us, okay? So those are my three alliterated points this morning. If you want to jot them down, you're welcome to, but um, purpose. You ever stop and thought through what is our purpose in life? Ultimately, our purpose in life is getting to know God, right? That from the very beginning, from Genesis, that we learned that there was this, this separation that happened because of sin. And if you, you look at history, it is amazing. All religions, every single bit of human history always has one thing in it. They are trying to to regain a relationship that was lost. Every religion, it's trying to figure out who God is and, and what He is and, and how He is. Even the atheists, well, they may not proclaim it. They can say all they want, but there is a reality deep down in their heart. They are trying to figure out if there is a God, who He is, and what does He want from me. And as we look at this study, I want us to see a couple of things, particularly from this verse, and those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. I want us to understand a couple of purposes in this. Number one, God wants to be known. God wants to be known. Isaiah 65, verse 1, 
It's proclaimed, I was ready to be sought, God declares, by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. God desires and wants to be known. In John chapter 17, Jesus declares that one of his purposes for coming and he prays to the Father. He says, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He desires to be made known. You can see it in in so many things from the Word. Uh, He reveals Himself, right? We don't have a God who is cosmically out there playing hide-and-seek. He wants to be known. He wants to be found. He wants you to understand Him. From the very beginning, it says we have it recorded for us. In the beginning, God. And not only that, he transitions into the New Testament in John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word. He declares it. He records it. We have this whole Word of God because of one purpose. God wants to be known. He's not trying to hide. He never has been. So when people declare, oh, if God would just write his name in the clouds, I would believe in him. Brothers and sisters, he has. Romans chapter 1 declares that the invisible things of this world declare the truth, the invisible attributes of God, so that men are without excuse. He's revealed Himself. He's recorded it. He has given us His Word, and it teaches us about who He is and His purposes. And He has reached out. He has come to earth. Matthew chapter 1 tells us that He is Emmanuel, God with us. He, in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says that He uh, became flesh and dwelt among us. He has reached out because He wants people to know who He is. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son. He has reached out because God wants to be known. There are religions out there that try and proclaim that God is unknowable and, and, and there's no point in even pursuing it. The reality is God wants to be known. And He wants, second of all, He wants you to know Him. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to know Him through His Spirit. If you're sitting here today as a believer, God has already reached out to you with His Holy Spirit and revealed to you the truth of who He is. In Matthew chapter uh, uh, 16, Jesus asks this question as he's got his little posse there. They're gathered at Caesarea Philippi in this incredible place. And, and Jesus asks them, he says, uh, who do the people say I am? And they give all kinds of answers. And then Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter speaks up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed be the God and Father who has revealed this to you. Through His Spirit. God reaches out to us to reveal to us the truth of who He is. And so it is through spirit revelation, but not just spirit revelation. Notice with this passage, that, and we're going to dive a little bit into it here. It says, those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, uh, O Lord, have not forsaken those who what? Seek you. 
He wants to be known by you through the revelation of His Holy Spirit and also through your seeking after Him. He desires you to pursue Him. Paul declared in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, his life was this, that he desired to know God and the power of His resurrection. That was his declaration of what his purpose in life was, that he would know God and the power of His resurrection. That is my goal in life. Paul says, a purpose, get to know God. Understand that God wants to be known. Understand that God wants you to know Him. And understand that God knows that if you know Him, you will trust Him. Notice what it says. Those who know your name put their trust in you. Our purpose is, for looking at these names of God, and we're going to dive even deeper into this, our purpose is that ultimately our faith and hope and trust in God Almighty would be strengthened to a place where your faith is unshakable. Ultimately, the purpose here is not to understand and know Hebrew names and Greek names, but to know the power of a God that we serve and His capacity for us. God wants to be known. God wants you to know Him. And God knows that if you know Him, you will trust Him. But there's a principle here, and if you catch it, it's very significant, especially as we walk through the study. It says that uh, those who know your name put their trust in you. People who know God's name trust Him. Why? Because of what it tells us about Him. You ever stop and think about the importance of a name? Oftentimes in the, the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, a name was given at birth for specific reasons. Maybe it was because of an event that happened at childbirth. That's why we have uh, uh, Esau who was born. You know what his name means? Red, because he came out this red hairy thing. So they named him Esau, which means red. It's kind of uh, a downer if you're trying to find the purpose and meaning of your name and for a purpose in life. Sometimes it has significance to a purpose of life. Jacob was called the supplanter because ultimately he, as the second born, would supplant, would, would take over his brother's role to be in the genetic uh, ancestry of where the Messiah and the Redeemer would come. Sometimes it's prophetic. There's some incredible names. Uh, if you look at, uh, 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 I think it's Hosea's children, which I'm not even going to try and pronounce their names, but they had prophetic meaning that God gave the, told them, you need to name your children this because of this that's going to come. The greatest example, of course, of this is in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, where Joseph has this dream and he's not sure what to do with this pregnant wife of his and the angel says, no, no, you keep that son and you need to name him Jesus. Because the name Jesus means Savior and he will save his people from their sins. 
It's interesting if you do a study on names and, and, and parents as you maybe are preparing to have children, understand the importance and the significance of names and why you name. I, I find it interesting when I drive by, I don't know if they still have it, the billboards that have the baby names, you know, Parkview does. And, and sometimes I'm wondering if people are just trying to pick the most random name that they can possibly figure out. It's like exclamation point asterisk seven, you know. I don't know how to pronounce the names half the times, but names have meaning, people. God preordains your name. It has meaning. There was a, 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 a father, a drunken father who had two twins. It's a true story. I... I, I I'm not joking, true story, he had two sons and he found out he could name his children whatever he wanted, so he named one winner and the other loser. You know, the son Winter grew up with this understanding that he thought he was something special and he became a, a problem for society. He was in and out of jail. He was in and out of uh, uh, alcohol rehab and so forth. He never amounted to a whole lot because he thought he was something special. And losers said, because I know what my name is and my father did it in a disgraceful manner, I'm going to exceed and go far beyond what it was. And he became very successful. Do you know what your own name means? I mean, it's just an interesting thing. I'm not going to spend any time in it, but Nathaniel, it means given of God, a gift of God. Didn't you know that I am God's gift to you? <laughs> just kidding. It was a joke. Please understand that. But names have significant meaning. It's no wonder that Paul, or I'm sorry, Luke, in writing the book of Acts, he says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is no other name by which we can be saved but Jesus. Names are important because they, they describe, they tell us something about someone. We look at the names of God and why is it so important to study? Why is it so important to, to spend time looking at it? They tell us about God couple different things they tell us his character they tell us who he is so we get names such as loving merciful just sovereign holy etc etc they tell us about his capability what he can do healer protector shepherd redeemer they tell us his course they tell us where he is, purposes in life, the resurrection, the beginning and the end, the living water, Savior. Names are significant. There's importance in it. There's also an implication in this. It says that those who know your name put their trust in you. Knowing a person's name implies that you have a relationship with someone, right? Most strangers, you don't really have a relationship. Sometimes we like to name drop so that we can make ourselves feel a little bit more important, right? Um, my famous life story is, if you ever heard of the pitcher Oral Hershiser, um, when I was a baby, um, he got kicked out of his hotel room when my parents were missionaries in the Dominican Republic when they were in spring ball. And um, he got kicked out of his hotel and he came and lived with my parents for like two weeks. And, and I was uh, a baby and he held me and I threw up on him. That's my claim to fame. But I sit here and I'll say, Oral Hershey's, I'm going to drop his name because that means I have some sort of connection to him, right? Brothers and sisters, Second Chronicles 7.14, those who are known by my name, 
Those who are called by my name, those who are attached to me, that have a relationship with me. There is significance, there is an implication that if we know God's name, we can say, we can declare that we have a relationship with him, that we are attached to him. And let me tell you some significance about God and his name. Number one, his name is his reputation. And it is good. The Proverbs tell us that uh, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1, it says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor, better than silver or gold. Having a good name, a good reputation is so vital. And if we know and understand the reputation of God because it's attached to His name, there is some great power there. And guess what? His reputation is trustworthy. It's trustworthy. They that know thy name, and I memorized it in King James, so I'll kind of go back and forth with that, right? Those who know your name put their trust in you. There's importance in the name. There's implications of that name, but there's also identification. The more we get to know God's name implies that we're digging deeper into a relationship with him. Notice what the passage says. It's got two different, it seems like two different people. It starts out with those who know your name, and then it ends with those who seek you. And the reality is the way you get to know God's name is by seeking Him. There is a definite connection. We teach our children, never talk to strangers, never talk to strangers, stranger danger. I know many kids that know no strangers. How do we eliminate strangers in our life? There are so many of us in here, and I'm one of them, that your neighbor is a stranger because you've never met them. And there are many in here that if we are not careful, and we are not pursuing, and we are not seeking, the Lord is a stranger to us. And he doesn't want that. Remember what we said already, that God desires to be known to you. Talk to the men at men's retreat about personal worship, cultivating a spirit of personal worship. Why that's so significant. Why that's so important. If we are not spending time with the Lord, you know, I wonder as we look at our society, we, 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 I hear this kind of, popping up every once in a while you know the american church is so weak the american church has no power the american church is is pathetic you know when we've got churches in asia that are praying and seeing miracles happen and yet when we are praying are we seeing miracles well maybe it's because we're not spending time getting to know the lord Maybe it's because we're so busy with distractions and we're so filled with things that, that take our time, that consume our time, and God is just declaring, come to me, as in Isaiah chapter 65, where he said, I desired to be known and to make myself known to a people that did not know me, and they did not come. There is a qualification here. It says, those who know your name put their trust in you, but you can't know his name unless you seek him. And you pursue Him. 
We can hear of his name. And it's, by the way, this is more than just, oh, I know what the meaning of Jehovah Nisi is. It's knowing the reality of who he is and what he is capable of. They that know thy name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken who? Those who seek you. There's a promise in this. We already mentioned it. He will not forsake them that seek Him. Those who come to God in search of Him, He will not turn away. There's a claim here. He will not forsake. He will not turn away. We have some incredible promises here that we should take to heart. In Psalm 50, Verse 15, it says, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. In Deuteronomy, in speaking to the people as he laid out his covenant with them, he said, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Later on in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, The writer says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Because those things draw us away from him. And we begin to stress out when we don't have. We 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 begin to think of the bills and we begin to think of things and we begin to worry. And, and, and you know, this is something the Lord just keeps hammering in on me. And, and this is why I mentioned that this this text is so good. And it's been something I've been kind of cling to this morning, even as I was I was walking through some different things and circumstances of life and and various things. I just kept repeating this verse. Those who know your name. Put their trust in you for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So the writer says in Hebrews, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Why? Because I will never leave you nor forsake you. Brothers and sisters, money comes, money goes. Material things will be here one minute and gone the next. But he will never leave you nor forsake you. And the more you get to know his name and the reality of who he is through an intimate relationship with him, that as you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And there is nothing in this life that should ever take us to a place where we say, I am without hope. I'm not saying we don't have those thoughts. But we should run back to the one who has declared, I am that I am. I am self-existing. I am your provider. I'm your healer. I'm your banner. I'm your shepherd. I'm the living water. I'm your savior, your redeemer. Those that know his name and begin to realize and intimately become acquainted with the characteristics, the capacity and the purpose that he has will soon begin to say, he has not forsaken me. And he will never forsake me. I'm not saying that's an easy place to get to. But it's a reality. It's a claim he makes even in this verse that the psalmist who has gone through all kinds of stuff, he says, I know my Redeemer. It's how Job could say after losing 
all of his children, all of his wealth, and having a sickness put on his body. And he could look around and he could say, naked came I into this world, naked shall I go. And towards the end of listening to countless rhetoric from all his friends who are telling him why he's got all these problems, he can turn to them and say, I know my Redeemer lives. And one day I will see him face to face. It's a certainty as well. What God promises, He fulfills. And God promises He will never forsake those who seek Him. That when you are in despair, that you can go to Him and you can pursue Him and find Him and He will bring great relief. He may not pull you out of your circumstances in life, but He will give you exactly what you need. I find it interesting that as Jesus closes out his time on earth and he prepares to leave his disciples of course he leaves them with that great commission right he says go out into the world make disciples of every nation oh that's a simple task notice what he says lo i am with you always to the very ends of the earth the psalmist recognizes the reality here and he says in psalm 37 i have been young and now i am old yet i have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. But there is a clause to it, and I don't want us to forget it. We must seek him to know who he is. That's why we study it. That's why when I hear the irreverent names like, oh, the man upstairs, it shows that people don't know who God is. And it's an utter disservice to themselves with the loss that they have in not knowing who He is. That we have a God who has made Himself known and has declared Himself to us. I love what John, or John records for us in John chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus says, All that the Father has given me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me. I will never cast out. So why? Why do all this study? Is it so we can have a better knowledge of the Hebrew and Greek? Is it so that we can know that Jehovah means this or that or Adonai or El Shaddai or, you know, no. It's because as we know who God is, we learn what He is capable of and in the midst of your crisis, you can cry out to Him as we're told in the epistles by Paul, that we have been given a spirit of adoption whereby we may cry out, Abba, Father, Papa, Father, save me, rescue me. We get acquainted with Him. We learn who He is. Those who know Your name put their trust in Him. And I would be remiss to assume that everybody in here knows the Lord. If you're a non-believer, if you're somebody who just is struggling through life, if you don't know Him, then I want you to learn this name. Redeemer. Redeemer. Because the reality is that we can read through this account and, and it's an amazing account from start to end, and it's an account of human history, a history that is God's history. 
It's his story of how he created the world. And when the world was made, it fell into sin and temptation and it was broken. And there was a separation between God and man because man said, you know what? I will not have you to rule over me. And every single human being is born today with that cry in their heart. Don't believe me? Look at a toddler. Try and help them tie their shoes, right? I don't need your help. We are autonomous at heart because of sin in our lives. And our hearts cry out, I will not be ruled by another. I will not submit to someone else. And we need desperately a Savior who will come in and will save us from our wicked hearts that are so desperately evil that we will not submit to anything. And God so loved the world, we're told that He sent His one and only Son and His name was Jesus because He would save His people from their sins and He lived a holy and perfect life. And he died on a cross, even though he didn't deserve it. And his death means salvation to all who believe because he took punishment that was belonging to us. And that's why Paul declares with boldness, or John, I forget which one of the disciples in Acts chapter 4, that there is salvation in no other name but Jesus. But the fact of the matter is there is salvation in Jesus' name. If you're here today and this means little to nothing to you, you say, oh God, yeah, I know of God. Know this, that Jesus cries out for you. And in his name there is salvation and hope. And if we're here today and we're discouraged... I encourage you, I implore you, I beg you to spend time getting to know the God of the Scriptures because He has made Himself known and He wants you to know that whatever your circumstances are, whether it's to pay an electric bill, whether it's a family problem that, that you just know that your marriage is teetering on the very edge of destruction, that God has an answer and His answer is Himself. And He says, come and get to know me and know who I am and know what I have to offer you. And you'll find hope in such a way that when you see the crisis in your life, you come to him and you can declare with boldness those who put your, their name or those that know your name put their trust in you. That's why we're studying it. That's why we're looking at it. We might know the capacity of who God is. We're going to take communion here this morning. And, of course, we already mentioned the name Jesus, and that's what it's really all about. I shared with the prayer group this morning a passage that the Lord kind of laid on my heart yesterday. We were at the men's retreat, and I wish, you know, God's timing was a little bit faster sometimes, right? Because I would have shared this in the men's retreat in my talk, but I just thought it was so incredibly important for me. And that's why I think the Lord gave it to me at that time. As I was reading through 1 Kings, I do that in my daily devotions right now, and I'm reading through it. You have this story in 1 Kings chapter 18 where Elijah has this incredible experience, right? Where he is on Mount Carmel and this incredible moment, and I'd encourage you to read this 1 Kings chapter 18, where he's up against the prophets of Baal. And the Lord does this incredible miracle, and, and I'm not going to dive into that because it's not the point of what I want to talk about 
But after that moment, Elijah runs away into the wilderness because he hears from Jezebel, the king's wife, who was a devout follower of Baal. She says to him, Elijah, before today is over, I'm going to make you what you did to them. I'm going to put an end to your life. And Elijah is filled with despair. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, it it literally says that uh, Elijah was ready to die. And he says to the Lord, it's enough. Take me. I'm done. He goes from a mountain experience where he has this incredible victory where the people of Israel are shouting, God, God, He is the living God. To, I've had enough. Just take my life right now. Brothers and sisters, we all have ministry that we are doing as followers of Jesus. You don't have to be a pastor to be in ministry. We walk a walk of faith because we put our trust in Him, because we have a a knowledge of who He is, and we say we believe that the God of the Scriptures is true. And as we walk through life, I can promise you that one day you will be on cloud nine and the next day you will be in the pit of despair. And this incredible story happens in 1 Kings chapter 19. That as he lies down under this tree to die, he falls asleep and an angel taps him on the shoulder and says, Arise and eat. And so he gets up and he eats and he's still weary and he falls down and he sleeps again. And a second time, the angel taps him on the shoulder and says, Arise and eat, for your journey is too much for you. We will never make it through this journey of life without knowing Him. This journey is too much. Because it is a world filled with sin and despair and hopelessness and sorrow and sickness and death. I went to the hospital and saw a brother of ours who is riddled with cancer, wheezing as he talks. And you say, God, how do we walk through this? We eat of the word that he has given us. Jesus declared, my body is bread. It is flesh given for you. And so much of us so oftentimes are filled with the distractions of life that we have forgotten the very name of God who has redeemed us by His blood. And we try to walk through life and that journey is too hard. And what an incredible moment that we get this morning to spend time with the Lord in communion, in fellowship, and refresh our minds of who He is and what He has done for us. And that He declares, here is my body broken for you. Take, eat in remembrance of me. For as long as you do this, as long as you participate in this, you declare till I return my death and resurrection, which is the power of forgiveness and conquering of death. And sin. Let this bread and this cup be nourishment as we remind ourselves of the truth of who He is. And so I'd encourage you, even right now, Stephen will come up and 
the worship team. I'd encourage us to, to look at our hearts. Examine your journey. Are you at a place where it is too hard for you? Those that know your name put their trust in you. And you, O oh Lord, will not forsake those who seek you. And maybe it's a call to remembrance of who Jesus is and what He has done and a remembrance of the Gospel and a remembrance that Jesus, the very name Jesus, which saves us from our sins, is the Redeemer who calls us to Himself and we can have fellowship with Him. I've had discussions with my children before when, when we talk about uh, the struggles of our sinful behavior and, and you walk through that and the response is, I can't do it. You've got to change. I can't do it. You know what? The answer is you're right. But God's grace can. Because this journey is too hard for you. And if you aren't spending time in the Word, I encourage you, Please know that there is no greater truth than to know who He is and what He is capable of and what He wants to do for you. So take some time wherever you are seated. Ask the Lord to search your heart. Confess your sin and don't stay there. We are not called to shame. We are not called to bondage and slavery of sin. We're called to freedom. He says, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lay it out there at the altar and then come and celebrate what He has done for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are so good. And Father, I know for myself, and I'm sure there are many others, it is hard at times to trust you. Stress and anxiety build up. The problems of life are ever-present. Foolish decisions creep in and mount up a pile of garbage that we have to deal with. And we say, where can we turn? Father, I pray today that we would stop turning to this world. And we return to the name Jehovah, Elohim, Adonai, our Redeemer, that we might put our trust in You and You alone. Father, restore us. Put our hope in You. We pray in Jesus' name.